0: You know, as a rider and as a sportsman and as a horseman, I try to set an example for how I would like my students. You know, I clinic a lot all over the country and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I remind even the teenagers I clinic. I'm like, you're setting an example for the younger people in this barn. Make sure that when you come out of the ring, you set an example of that you pet your horse because it's usually I am a huge believer in we have to we could do better by the animal. There's usually something we can. Horses don't normally choose to be bad or make a mistake. We usually could do something to help make that better. And I think if you come out with that attitude of, of what could I do to have made this better? Um, what could I do to communicate with my horse better? I think I think you will find more success over time. And I think that it's important for the older um, students, the adults, all that sort of stuff to set that example. I think it's really important for the professionals to set that example for the younger people in the sport come out of the the ring and discuss, you know, I don't have control. You know, uh, this is what I was happy with. I don't have control over the judging. Mm-hmm. You know, this judge may like me, this judge may not, but my goal is how do I get this horse to go better? How do I ride better? Those are the things we have to set an example you know, be gracious when you pick up a ribbon. Be thankful to the people at the back gate. I, I think, as professionals, and I think our top junior riders really need to set that example for the youth in this sport.
1: Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Julia Murphy, and this week's episode is with top hunter rider, trainer, and clinician, Hope Glenn. Hope grew up in Northern California where she started her career as a child, riding Western, doing pony club, and showing Welsh ponies. At 10 years old, Hope began taking hunter jumper lessons with Patty Ball, and a few years later became her working student. Under Patty's guidance, Hope earned her miles and reputation in the ring by catch riding at local shows. Over the next 25 years, Hope established herself as one of the leading professional hunter riders in the country, as well as a respected judge. She is ranked 15th on the USHJA Lifetime Money Earned list, and over the course of her career, she has garnered two second place finishes in the HITS 500,000 Hunter Prix, and has 15 International Hunter Derby wins with 15 different horses. Hope is the recipient of the California Professional Horseman's Association Horseman of the Year Award, the Arthur Hawkins Award of Excellence in Hunters, and has been the leading Southwest Derby rider more than five times. Hope has won the West Coast WCHR Hunter Spectacular three times, as well as Reserve Champion at the USHJA International Hunter Derby Finals. She also holds the title for the most derbies won on multiple horses. She is the proud mother and coach of her daughter, Avery Glynn, who is an accomplished junior rider. Following in her mother's footsteps, Avery has seen success catch riding in the equitation ring. The joy of watching her daughter succeed gave Hope the nudge to change her trajectory to focus on Avery and her showing. With time out of the show ring herself, Hope has honed in on her sales and import business, Hope LLC, which she owns and operates out of Northern California. She's also ventured into the financial technology business to launch the Backgate app, which she talks about in this episode. Before we dive into the podcast with Hope, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, Purina, and share their message. Your horse has unique feed needs and Purina has you covered. From breeding and growing to senior horses, from performance horses to easy keepers and everything in between, Purina has an extensive portfolio of research-backed options for your horse. There's no shortcut for quality and nutrition. Cheaper isn't cheaper if it doesn't work. Put their research to the test. Find Optimal Nutrition at any level at your local Purina retailer or visit purinamills.com to learn more. Now enjoy the episode with Hope. Thank you again for joining me today. Very nice to meet you. I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit more. So um, when I talk to people for the podcast, I really just like to ask that first basic question of how did you get interested in horses and riding to begin with?
0: You know, very nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on today. Um, I was lucky enough to have a mother that um, was involved in horses uh, growing up, although not at all the same discipline, nor at at the level that I became uh, a horse woman. But my mom rode Western as a kid and did drill team and and had a good relationship with horses and a love for horses. And so I think when I am an only child and when she had a daughter, I think she was excited to introduce the love of horses to me. Um, And I think that it was a good excuse for her to get back into it was, oh, I'm going to get a pony, you know, for my daughter. And I think that my mom's tiny and so she could ride it as well. Uh, had to train it and at the time um we couldn't afford to have a horse like in training with somebody so um we bought my mom bought a pony when I was was just turning five out of the paper uh Rio Oso Sugar and Spice was her name and half Welsh half Arab and uh Sugar literally my My dad hauled a barn he found in some property down the road on a flatbed illegally down the road at uh, (laughs) 5am and put it on our property that my parents had just bought. And then we filled it with a pony. And that's how my riding career started. And my mom um, basically, you know, got on the pony and was trying to train it to be, you know, hopefully eventually more than a lead line pony for me. Mm -hmm. But she struggled in the first 60 days getting the weight off the pony and go figure 60 days after we bought her my dad went down to the barn to throw it some hay in the morning and there was a foal in the stall and that tells you how oh my gosh we uh, we bought a pregnant uh pony and there I had two immediately (laughs) because we didn't realize she was pregnant and um yeah so that was my intro to horses i got to have a medium pony and i got to have its baby within the first 60 days of starting in the equestrian world wow that's too funny did you end up keeping the foal so we actually eventually when the soul full grew up we sold um him his name was puff because i'm obsessed with puff the magic dragon Um, so that's what I want to call it and so Puff actually ended up going on to Foxfield and was a part of their Foxfield drill team for years um, there and and lived out his life there actually so um, that's wonderful kind of had a a great great story found a good good home was really good at drill team and and was loved by the Foxfield team
1: that's awesome what a nice story
0: yeah, so I, I definitely did Western to start, um, and okay. I think my mom had hopes that I would stay in the Western world because that was what she knew, um, and she even tried to get me into paints because I think, you know, com- compared to the hunter-jumper world, she thought she could afford a better horse for me if I stayed in the <laughs> the Western right. pleasure slash paint world. There was a lot I could do, um, but we did... I loved to jump from an early age. I mean, whether it was jumping, you know, things I'd found in the barn, whether it be a barrel or a manure bucket or, Mm -hmm. you know, kids make their own jumps. But, um, you know, basically my mom and I showed Welsh ponies as a kid. So she showed them as well. And on the Welsh circuit, you do Western English and driving, oftentimes on the same pony in the same day at a horse show. So we literally would pack up a motor home with a bumper pole trailer and my mom and I and my grandmother would head out to different Welsh pony shows and um, you know it's funny I think a lot of people you know ask me like oh my gosh like you know what did you do as a junior what did you do as a kid to like really prepare you to be a successful professional and I think it it surprises people when I tell them that I didn't have a big junior career and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the means to show on the East coast when I was a junior and, and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I, am I'm so surprised by that. And I said, you know, I think it's what gave me an advantage in, in life. And that sounds Mm -hmm. funny, but because I wasn't a kid who had the top horses or at a top barn, um, I, bought for a lot of opportunities to ride all sorts of different animals growing up so I rode thoroughbreds off the track I rode you know horses in people's backyard I rode mules before you know mule day shows I showed in the Appaloosa um, finals at Cow Palace one year like I pretty much was the kid who would ride anything at any time and I wasn't I, I would take a lesson from anybody when I could get one and I also would just ride and try to figure it out. And sometimes it wouldn't always what I thought would work wouldn't always work. And I I do think horses are the best teacher. So I do think if you can get in a situation where you can grow up and learn to ride on a lot of different horses, which, you know, a lot of kids don't have that opportunity. But I think then you learn how to ride a lot of different types of horses. And I think that was yeah. my advantage when I got to be a professional is that I had ridden a lot of green horses. I had ridden horses that had a stop in them. I'd ridden horses that had a spin in them. I had ridden horses that had a rear in them. And, and I don't think necessarily it's important to ride bad horses. But to be a professional and be able to bring young horses along or you know, make good horses per se, um, to have those skills of being able to kind of read what a horse wants um, are invaluable, in my opinion. And although I didn't have a big show record, I had a a, a big record in diversity when it came to learning about how horses want to be, you know, trained, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All of that is super important. I mean, I think, like you said, just getting that experience of riding different kinds of courses and kind of learning how to deal with those difficulties, it really is beneficial uh, down the line in your career.
0: Well, I think it's funny because with Avery, my daughter, who's a, a successful junior rider, I didn't—I'll be honest—I didn't have her ride a lot of problem horses when or ponies when she was a kid because. I had the means to be able and connections to be able to keep her on better horses and ponies. So my feeling is having seen both and doing both, you know, not only as a mother and a trainer, but also growing up in it. I think when your kids are little, it's so important more than anything, more than fancy, more than anything, get them on something safe that develops good habits. So Mm -hmm. I think my mom did what she needed to do to get me on a pony because they couldn't get me something different. But I definitely feel it's smarter to spend money. Don't buy a fancy green something for your kid. Buy a made true, even if it's serviceably sound, buy something that teaches them good habits and instills confidence in them. And then as they grow up, as they grow up and they develop as a rider then you can add more of those things you know like Avery rides a lot of green horses now she rides one that has a spin or a buck or whatever but I didn't really you know she she did some of those ponies when she was younger like 12 you know 10 to 12-ish once she kind of established I know it sounds crazy that you know a 10-year-old is established but she ridden a lot of ponies by the time she was 10 so at that point in time if if she needed to get on somebody else's pony, like another smaller child's pony and fix it, I felt confident mm-hmm. that she was ready for that, but I wasn't going to do that to her when she was six.
1: Right. And I mean, and she's become extremely successful. She's a wonderful rider. Yeah. And um I think
0: she now is feeling like, you know, we talk about this a lot and we have, we're lucky enough to have a good uh, relationship, both as mother and daughter, but also, in a professional manner, we talk about horses and, and training and, and that sort of stuff a lot. And she she definitely is wanting to expand and meaning that she wants to get, uh, you know, develop a couple younger horses. She's helped me with green horses along the way, but now I don't need to ride them first for her. You know, she oftentimes is, now she wants to learn how to fix something or develop a horse's shoulder mm-hmm. or teach a lead change or or something like that
1: mm-hmm. um so moving forward a little bit i wanted to ask what has just kept you involved with the sport for so long
0: well um
1: it's 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 definitely i
0: i'm educated in a lot of different things and chose to be a horse trainer which i, I will be the first one to tell young professionals that i'm a big believer in going to school and getting an education um, no matter what you want to do in this sport, I am a, a supporter of that track and Avery will go to uh, Auburn University and ride and and get her education there before she decides what she wants to do. But um, I think I think for me, you know um, I have kept in this business mainly because I love horses. This business gets overwhelming at times because I'll be honest, the people, in my opinion get get intense and you can understand that because they're spending a lot of money and a lot of time on this sport but the horses are the easy part and that's that's truly where my love came from I always felt horses in some way or another were you know kind of my therapist meaning you know whether I was a kid and I was having a hard time at school or maybe somebody was being mean to me I always could come home and animals are always so non-judgmental and I could always feel like I was successful at something uh, on the back of a horse. And so no matter what was going on in my life, um, being able to go to the barn and um, ride and have that connection with horses has always brought me um, back to this sport in, in so many different ways. Um, I think that my role in this sport, I'm a person who definitely believes that you don't have to do one thing your entire life i do think that you can change and and for me it's kind of evolved you know what do i want to do in this business and where do i want to be and how can i nurture my love for horses without having to feel like i'm giving up kind of the rest of my life meaning um you know for 25 years i was on the road 20 to 26 weeks a year showing horses and um competing which was exciting and fun and rewarding and I don't regret any of it. But at the stage I am now, I don't want to miss out on Avery. So I really have enjoyed changing my business over the last um, six years to becoming a sales business. So that allows me not to be tied down to clients and it allows Avery to have a lot more catch rides because those people send me the horses to sell and know that putting a good junior on it and getting miles and a record in the show ring will help it get sold. So that's helped me keep Avery very well mounted on a lot of different animals. And then um, for me, it's just allowed me to help her in the process of learning how to ride a lot of different types of horses and getting in, you know, all sorts of rings. I have her almost show most of the open horses for me now, just so that she can get those miles and she rides incredibly well. So it's not like um, the horses are taking a step down with her on their back. In fact, I think she rides as well, if not better, than me at this point. And um, I love watching her. <laughs> so for me, I, I really enjoy being on the ground, and I'm really looking forward to her last junior year, which is next year, and mm-hmm. being available to travel as much as possible and be there as a supportive coach, but also mainly a supportive mom because I think that that role I've always I've always had to split that mom teaching role. And now I have some really fantastic professionals, both, uh, Jim Hagman on the West coast and North run, Missy Clark and John Brennan help, uh, with her equitation and, uh, jumper career. And I really look forward to being more of a mom and supporting her in that way
1: mm-hmm. and letting
0: the other people, you know, develop her because I think that is, that's an important, you know, step in her development and fun for
1: me. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I mean, she like I said before, she's such a talented rider and she's a so fun to watch ride. Um so I can imagine for you it's amazing seeing how far she's come and how skilled and successful that she is.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things um you know that I think that w- we've really bonded on that she's very interested in is I've always uh, my degree in, in college was in uh, marketing. And so I've been able to work with, you know, sponsors and different companies over time and also kind of advise her on how do you work with you know companies and how do you get sponsors and how do you okay. keep them and all that sort of stuff. And so she's really gotten very good at that as well as promotion. And if you're going to be in this business and be a professional, you know, promotion is a huge part of it. You have to be able to put yourself out there on social media and be able to put yourself out there in a way that isn't bragging, but is showing yourself off to the general public and, and letting mm-hmm. them know what you're involved in. And she, she's very interested in that. She's good at it. And I think my transition is working towards, um, I've been doing a lot of consulting for equestrian brands on how to get in the market and things like that, and um, I'm even getting in, involved in an app uh, that is going to be starting in the next year with, with you know, everything from managing horse shows, financial technology, and uh, and even helping bring in sponsorships to our sports, so that's the direction I'm evolving in, um, mainly so that I can keep riding, I don't have to be on the road all the time, and I don't have to have um, the clientele at home, that keeps me away from being on the road with Avery. so it's it's my nice. way of staying involved and also giving myself something kind of new and exciting
1: a yeah. direction
0: that um, I'm enthusiastic about to go in.
1: Um, I don't know if you can share this, but what is the app called so I can look out for it? yeah, it's it's called Backgate.
0: And in my opinion, it's it's going to be the first app. it's It's already in development. I'm working with a great team who are um, from the Silicon Valley that have done, you know, basically everything technology wise. And and a lot of them are people who are involved in horses because their kids ride. And um, I get to be the horse person on the board. So um, the that's thing so that fun. that's, that's fun for me is I get to learn a lot from them about, you know, fintech financial technology, how everything works, which is something I don't know a lot about. And they get to learn a little bit more about the horse business from me. So, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, right now our sport is you know we have we have some of the most technological and business-minded the the most successful people in the world in a lot of ways are involved in this sport yet we still pay for everything oftentimes with you know we have to leave a check here we have to bring cash for this and we have to you know we should be able to do everything on our phones we should. We should be able to pay for everything. We should be able to look everything up and it should be simple. And that's the goal of of this app is to to basically bring, you know, a simplicity and also the ability to use, whether it be your credit card, your Apple Pay, your Bitcoin, uh, whatever you choose to pay with, it's all on your phone already. So you should be able to pay your farrier, your show bill, your, um, you know, organize your entries, join your your memberships all within one one you know technological interface and and that's what we're working towards we need it
1: yeah that sounds really cool i'm looking forward to to seeing that you said it'll launch sometime next
0: yeah it's it's already we've already launched we've already started with the um the feed and bedding at horse shows and then we're just adding components all the time and the the thing that's so interesting as i've learned because these guys have done so much market research is You know the 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 horse industry in the United States is a hundred billion dollar industry. Globally, it's three hundred billion. This is a huge industry, and we are behind the times when it comes to technology in in our sports. So we're hoping we're hoping to help help bring it up to date. And
1: um, going back, sorry, I took a second to unmute myself there. Um, Going back to your um, experience and back to your riding and training yourself, um, I would love to know over the years in your career, um, what are some of the mentors who have influenced your riding Mm -hmm. in your career?
0: I had an absolutely wonderful trainer growing up um, who is by the name of Patty Ball. She still trains out of the Sacramento area and and if, if you know Patty, you understand how special she is. Uh, she is absolutely, you know, in my opinion, she's probably the most underrated trainer there's ever been in the fact of people maybe because she doesn't go back East um all the time, maybe don't know, doesn't know her name, but I will tell you, she is as good of an equitation trainer as I've ever seen. Meaning she taught me from an early age, the importance of flat work and fixing things over small jumps and you have to be able to do a line in a four or five and six seamlessly you have to be able to do bending lines you know I laughed this year at the USEP finals which east which Avery was at and mm-hmm. I loved the courses there and in the gymnastics phase they had the, the what we called the circle of death which the kids always oh, yeah. refer to but I was like I told Missy and John when when the kids went to walk the course I'm like oh Avery's got this. I'm like, she's been doing this since she was on a crossrail pony. And it's really the truth because Patty, from the time I was little and could could ever get there for lessons, I mean, that was what we did every day. You had to do polls and cavalettis and poles and cavalettis and you had to answer all the questions and develop all the skills. And I I don't see that very much in teaching anymore, which is disappointing to me because I do I I completely believe. You can fix almost any problem and learn any skill at a two, six and under jump for almost all equitation and hunter problems and most jumper problems as well. You know, you need to bring your eye up and you need to school the horse's fitness over bigger jumps. But as far as learning how to ride and learning how to problem solve on a horse, it does not require a large fence whatsoever. And most of it can be done over raised Cavalettis. But I see when I am, you know, at another barn, maybe I'm looking at a horse or maybe I'm I'm just observing how it is always walk, track, canter, both directions, jump a course. And I'm just like, how, where, how often, you know, and I'll ask people, how often do you take a flatter Cavaletti lesson? And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing to me how many top barns and just, because it's easy to say, go jump a horse, but you're not actually teaching the fundamentals of how to make the horse better or how to make the rider be able to answer the questions. And I mean, all we do, great professionals aren't perfect. We are able to problem solve without you seeing it. That's what makes us a great professional or a great rider. It's not that we don't encounter problems, it's that when we're out in the ring and the judge is watching us, we don't let the judge know what we're encountering because we're seamless when we fix it. And most of those yeah. things, in my opinion, can be solved without jumping a course, we done with lines of pulls and cavaletties and, and, and uh, lengthenings and shortenings and, you know, counter canters. And, and Patty was so influential and really pushed that. I mean, it, it, we rarely jumped big courses ever. And, and yet we had all the skills we needed no matter what horse um, we got on. So um, she was by far the most influential person for me as far as in, in my riding career you know, learning from and, 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 and spending time with, for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. And staying on the topic of training, um, you're talking about these, you know, Cavaletti exercises and pole exercises. Um, so when you are training a horse yourself, or if you're training a student, say like working with Avery or any other student, um, what, how would you describe your teaching style and your kind of training philosophy?
0: So, I am very much a person who I would consider myself a motivational trainer. I have, I am always, I'll be the first to say this. I am always amazed when I watch someone pay a trainer who, in my opinion, verbally abuses their themselves, their Uh wife, their child. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's hard for me because I find people yell usually when they can't teach. I think you can motivate a person. I think you can be passionate about it, but telling someone they can't do something, telling someone they're stupid, telling someone how could you how could you make that mistake? How could you be that dumb? the The things that I've heard come out of coach's mouths, it's not actually teaching, in my opinion. it's 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 breaking them down. And I don't find that not only do I not think that's a good strategy for life, but I don't think that that is really in my opinion, the best way to, to teach. And I'm not the type of coach that is always like, oh, good job, sweetie, you did it perfect. No, but I do think you have to be able to find something even in your worst round and go, okay, I thought that was a good choice here. But what I want to see you do next time yeah. is I really need you to get that gallop to start. I really, and if you want it, you've got to go get it from the beginning. I think you can motivate and inspire and get more out of someone than you can by telling them what, everything they did wrong and that they you know how could you make that mistake i've told you to do it another way i i i don't find that that is as successful as when we talk about something and and you can say all right let's let's do it this way next time i know you can do this i need you i need you to dig deep if you want this and i need you to be able to put that outside leg on i need you to come through the turn with more you know whatever it is that you're coaching i would say for sure my style is inspire and, and also, um, you know, as a rider and as a sportsman and as a horseman, I try to set an example for how I would like my students, you know, I clinic a lot all over the country and I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I remind even the teenagers I clinic, I'm like, you're setting an example for the younger people in this barn. Make sure that when you come out of the ring, you set an example of that. you pet your horse because it's usually, I am a huge believer in, we have to, we could do better by the animal. There's usually something we can, horses don't normally choose to be bad or make a mistake. We usually could do something to help make that better. And I think if you come out with that attitude of, of what could I do to have made this better? Um, what could I do to communicate with my horse better? I think, I think you will find more success over time. And I think that it's important for the older, um, students, the adults, all that sort of stuff to set that example. I think it's really important for the professionals to set that example for the younger people in the sport, not come out of the ring and bitch about the judging. Come out of the the ring and discuss, you know, I don't have control. You know, uh, this is what I was happy with. I don't have control over the judging. Mm-hmm. You know, this judge may like me, this judge may not. But my goal is how do I get this horse to go better? How do I ride better? Those are the things we have to set an example you know, be gracious when you pick up a ribbon, be thankful to the people at the back gate. I, I think as professionals and I think our top junior riders really need to set that example for the youth in this sport.
1: And going back, you touched on it a little bit about when you mentioned the Cavaletti training and the, you know, poles on the ground and so much we can do at home. Um, so what would you say you have a favorite exercise to practice at home to really build those skills? Um, and just say why is it your favorite and kind of describe that exercise?
0: Well, I think um if I'm developing, let's say, a rider, you know, a younger rider, a younger um student, not necessarily like I'm developing a pre-green horse, right? So that exercise is a little bit different than if I'm developing a rider. So as simple as this sounds, one of the things I practice a ton with, um, actually all levels of riders, but of course, if they've been riding with me for a while, or if, if we're doing a clinic or something like this, I, I leave them with this as homework. But I mean, you can honestly put a line of poles on the outside of the ring, like if, if depending on what length the ring is, but you could do like two, a four stride to a four stride, then off, that line of poles, so just three pulls four strides four strides and then off the turn you do a bending line you know of five strides to another pole, and it sounds so simple but can you do that off the left lead and hold the left lead and do it in a four and a four and a five can you do it off the left lead and do it in a five and a five and a six can you do it on the left lead and do a five and a four and a five because all it is is about is track and pace And then can you turn around and do it the other way off the right lead? And I can't tell you, most people can't do it even that are jumping around three, six courses, which is mind boggling to me because for myself, the way that I was taught and the way that I teach, those kids should be able to do it before they hit the three foot level. They have to be able to learn how to go forward and back, how to turn left and how to turn right and maintain the lead. But it's easy to just continue. You have the pressure as a professional from parents. Rarely do I see a parent who doesn't want their kid jumping bigger. I, I, when does Susie get to jump the three six? Her friends in the other barn are jumping the three three. You know, rarely do I get the question, how, how can we most improve her skills? How can we make her the best rider? That's rarely a question that comes out of a, a parent's mouth, unfortunately, because. I think you will have a lot more success over time if you focus on how how can we how can we grow as a rider, not how big are the fences.
1: Right. And um, I want to get touch into your showing experience. I have a couple questions about co- competing. Um so yeah. for yourself, um what would you say are some of your most uh, favorable or biggest successes in your career that you really um, you know, remember well, and that just kind of stick in your mind is one of the most important successes in your career.
0: You know, I've, I've, I've won the fifty thousand at international derby at thermal, and I've been second at 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 international derby finals, and I've, I've, I've been to the hits hunter pre and come home with you know huge checks from that second in both of those and. And I, I've won some really um, great derbies all over the country. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be champion at the Hampton Classic and several of the indoor, you know, Capital Challenge. And, but it's funny, the things that I remember most, and I, I try to remind the kids this when they're feeling like if they don't win a certain day at a certain show, their their world might be over, right? Um, Cause they, they put so much pressure on themselves Is I oftentimes ask them like three years ago, who won this medal final or who won derby finals four years ago? You know, like they don't remember that. I said, you know, do you remember when you were at pony finals? Do you remember doing the, the parade there? Or do you remember at equitation finals, you know, like going to the haunted house, you know, you remember that kind of stuff, right? For sure. It doesn't matter how long it's been. But for me, one of the most memorable things in my career was actually getting to show at the Central Park Horse show, which um, they didn't have a lot of years, but they did a great, you know, Grand Prix. And then they also did a Hunter Derby. And um, I got to tell you, I know I didn't win, but I can't remember if I was second or third, because that's not what stuck out there about that moment Mm -hmm. for me. The ability to be able to go different places in this country and show at all these beautiful venues and and meet so many different types of people and also just see so many different animals and and the the number of great humans that i've met throughout the country both as trainers and clients you know has there are amazing and amazingly diverse people in this sport um from their careers to their backgrounds to their ethnicity i mean so many amazing people but for me getting to go to central park and ride in that derby was not only inspiring because the the backdrop and the look of it and being in central park and you know seeing all the skyscrapers and but you had the the ability to be in the middle of a park where you walked from the stabling to the show area and there were kids who lined the walkway many of them had never seen a horse in Mm -hmm. real life which is a very humbling thing and almost you know brings you a little bit back to your center meaning like these were kids like mom it's a real horse you know these are inner city kids who had never seen a horse outside of like a police horse in Mm -hmm. you know downtown New York City and um after the class so not only was the class well attended and You know, you could buy tickets, but there was also a whole place where you could watch from the outside if you couldn't buy tickets. And then that weekend, they asked um, myself and, and a couple riders if they could mic us. And they opened the arena and the stadium for anyone who wanted to to come in and learn about horses in our sport. And so we got to mic up and I mean hundreds hundreds of families came in and we got to talk about hunters and jumpers and ride a course and be a part of the community and just be around people who were genuinely so enthusiastic and excited to see horses and that horse sport. It's things like that, that are by far my most memorable moments in this sport. Um, Mm -hmm. Not necessarily just, you know, I, I won the West coast hunter spectacular three times, those were great, but it's it's the moments that I got to really enjoy being a horseman and enjoying sharing my love for horses that probably stand out as my favorite moments in my career.
1: And you've touched on this a little bit, um, just the different difficult things in this sport. And this sport is very difficult and things don't always go as planned. And, you know, sometimes we don't win as much as we like to or, you know, we're not as successful as we expect ourselves to be. So how do you deal with um, maybe not meeting expectations that you've set for yourself? I think that's something that a lot of riders deal with. So how do you push through that?
0: Um, I think it has to do a lot with two how you set your goals so i don't consider myself someone who says like my goal is to win this class because i usually don't i'm i don't usually show the jumpers i'm more of a hunter equitation you know luckily i do get to sneak into that ring every once in a while which i love but my goals are usually like i want to bring this horse have it as well prepared as possible Get to Derby finals and and ride a good gallop. Take all the high options and mm-hmm. you know do the best I can. If I get outclassed or beat by somebody who outrides me, then I can sleep at night. I get disappointed when yeah. I go. I should have prepared better. If I'd have just spent a little bit more time on this horse's you know fitness or if I'd you know developed its front end. If I'd have done a few more bounces or if I had done this, then I get disappointed. In myself because I have control over that I have control over preparation of myself and I have control over preparation of my horse do I don't have control over the judging and I'm a judge and I'm not one to blame one but there's some days that somebody's gonna like one horse better than me no matter what I do so and that controls the outcome meaning the prizes so I can rest easy at night if I felt like I did everything right and I prepared and The other thing that I'm funny about is I don't ever want to go to sleep at night and said, if you'd have just taken that one higher option, or if you would just taken that inside turn, I am the type of person who will push for the win. Even if I take the loss because of it, I don't ride for third place. I just don't. I, I don't want to leave that ring and go, Oh, if you'd have just tried that, you could have had the win. I want to leave and go, you tried it you push the envelope, you know what, it didn't go as planned, but you didn't leave the door open for somebody to come in there and beat you. And, and so I think people who get in a situation where they just focus on like, I have to win this are going to be disappointed. I think change, you know, change your goals. I also think there's a lot of people that do really well working with a sports psychologist. I have Several friends, lots of students. Yeah, that that really helps them. And and you know, visualization and all that sort of stuff. And also the ability to recover is is something they need help with. Don't ever be ashamed to go get help for that. There is there are so many wonderful people that do a great job in this industry, helping people with um you know making goals as well as um you know how do you how do you come out of the ring and and recover from successes as well as failures and. And the other thing is too, I think, um, I tend to live, I, I think this is a hard sport to live a, a healthy lifestyle in. meaning, um, I spend a lot of time like trying to make good choices about when I can, I mean, horseshoes don't allow you always to eat perfectly, but I, I, I eat like a, a, a somewhat healthy diet. I mean, God knows I'll have some pizza or eat late sometimes, but I do try to make an effort to always make sure I drink enough water to have protein in my diet. I also am very good about staying fit when I'm not, you know, at a horse show or on the back of a horse. I, you know, I was at the gym this morning. I, I, I'm at the gym, you know, five days a week, anytime I can be. And I think that it gives me a physical and mental edge to be able to prepare and recover. Because um, yeah. I think in general, being healthy allows you to not get in that space of you know, real depression or, um, you know, kind of like self deprivation where you're you're making yourself feel bad and you need to let it go. Yeah, that horse doesn't want you feeling sorry for itself. That horse wants you to believe in it, tell it it did a good job and come back out tomorrow and believe that it, it has a shot of wood in the next one.
1: And over the course of your career, I mean, you've been successful in so many different shows and all across the country. Um, and when you're at these big competitions, do you ever get nervous? And if you do, how do you handle your nerves?
0: So this is this is kind of uh, it's a great question because Avery and I have talked a lot about this, and I don't know if 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 nerves actually made me a better competitor, or if I just told myself they didn't, I convinced myself of that, and what I mean is, because Avery and I both have the same thing, like, so first of all, the thing I find now is it really takes a big class for me to actually feel nerves, so I actually, like, miss them, like, I don't, I don't get adrenaline, like, to show, unless it's, like, a big derby under the lights at night, and I'm in the second round, and, like, like, I don't really get have a lot of nerves for like the first round or the second round, unless it's like head to head, we both have 92s going in and I need to like, make sure I get, you know, that's the time that adrenaline kicks in. And I will tell you, I like nerves. It helps me. And, and this is the, the the real question. Does it help me? Or have I convinced myself over time that when I get the butterflies and I kind of feel like I'm going to vomit that I, I, I'm going to do better. I have always done better when I'm the most pressure is on me. I'm a person you bet on more pressure, the better. And Avery is the same way. I, you know, I always say, I just hope she makes the work off because I know her, her genes and I know how she thinks. If, if she's got a shot at moving up, that girl lay it down. Like nerves are her, 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 you know, strong suit for sure. And we talked a lot when she was little and she'd be like, mom, I'm nervous. I I don't feel good. I don't think I can do this. And, you know, I think I convinced her it was her superpower. And I'm not sure I didn't do that with myself when I was younger, because I think everybody deals with nerves and everybody deals with this, you know, whether it it, it makes you feel a little sick, a little lightheaded, um, whatever your visceral reaction is to nerves. But I think the people who really are successful in this sport, and I think that goes for any sport per se, takes that adrenaline, takes those nerves, and it empowers them and gives them more focus. And I think a little bit of that is convincing yourself that that's gonna help you. I think if you felt like those nerves are going to hinder you, then you will convince yourself of that. We, both Avery and I have convinced ourselves When we start to feel a little sick, then we're ready to kick some butt. And I'm not sure that 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 it's different for anyone who is is going to win the class or or isn't going to win the class. But we have convinced ourselves that that helps us win. so for that reason, nerves are a good thing when we compete because it makes us really like feel like we've got our superpower ready to go in there and, and lay it down.
1: Yeah. I feel like the, the nerves make you a little bit sharper. For sure. And and I don't think everybody feels that way, but mm-hmm. I think
0: the top group of athletes do. And I think we crave it. I think we crave to feel that way when we go in, because it's, I will tell you, it's very scary for me when I walk into a big class and don't have any of that feeling. I'm like, come on. Come on. Home. <laughs> Get some nerves. Somebody needs to like. come on tell me something scary yeah I need something here like let's
1: do this so and do you have any like superstitions or routines that you do before a big show or a big class
0: So, so this is funny because I am not superstitious at all. Like I'm like, give me the number 666, let a black cat walk in front of me before I go in the ring. And it's almost like a joke because I think there are a lot of people that are very superstitious in this sport. And I think Avery for sure gets like, oh my gosh, I need to make sure that I go over the course like three times. And like, she has more of a a routine, but I'm very not that way. I'm like a little bit, if anything, I'm a little goofy. Like, if it's a big class, like, I'll be telling a joke at the back gate. Like, I'll just, like, laugh. The main thing for me is I actually don't want to watch a lot of people. Like, I need to go – my strong suit is I know my horses. I ride a lot off of feel. In fact, the the running joke is, like, literally if a line is over seven strides, I'm not going to walk it because I don't actually want to know what the number is because I know I'll ride the right number. If I just ride a rhythm and ride my horse, if I start getting like, oh my God, am I, am I 10 strides out now? Am I 11? You know, and Avery's the type that wants to have a number literally the entire course, whether it's 13 strides around the turn. Like I can't do that. That's way too much math for me on course. I need to, I need to feel my horse and ride what's going on. And that's my strong suit. So for me, I don't watch too many rounds. I walk the course oftentimes by myself because I don't want to hear what the other rider's plan is because I genuinely want to go. uh, My gut is good. And my, my, I know the horses, so I need to stick with what I think is going to work. Not, Oh my gosh, I just heard so-and-so is going to do this number up the outside and then they're going to make the inside turn. Like I usually do better if I stick to my gut and my plan. And then if I need to adjust something like in the handy or something, then I look at a lot of different options. And then I choose that track, depending on where I'm sitting in the class and how much I need to move up or how much cushion I have.
1: Right. That's actually it's funny hearing that Avery um is so opposite and that she counts even you know through the turns and stuff. I, I actually I've I haven't ever heard another person that does that, but I do that myself when I'm on course. Like I count, I count all the way like through to the have turns. Like
0: I count a number, a counting, counting, counting. And the other thing that's funny about her is she can't. She's just now as a seventeen year old learning to use like. She used to not be able to count and say like slow or whoa off the ground. Like she's like, I can do one or the other, mother. I can't do both. And I'm like, just let go of the number for a little bit and just talk. But that's something that like she gets so attached to a number that it's hard for her to like say slow off the ground or whoa. And I'm terrible. You'll ask me on like the warm up day of the horse show, I will have done five horses in the warm up and somebody will be like, oh, what's the bending line across the middle? And I'm like, hmm. Well, I think it's like a six or a seven. They're like, well, didn't you just do one? I was like, yeah, I did the right number, but I'm talking to the horse and telling it slow off the ground or good boy because <laughs> it's warm up day. That, I just want it to relax and jump well. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it does a six or a seven. That's not going to make or break me the next day. I'm going to win if that horse is relaxed and confident. That's what I'm going yeah. for today.
1: Uh, and a couple more questions That's something we're very here. opposite at. Yeah. <laughs> Um uh, do you think she gets that from her father at all? You know, I think that Ned for
0: sure when he showed really was a planner. Like he was always one who really took the time to look at the um the course and like he'd walk it and sit and 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 analyze it. You know, he's just I'm I'm very much more like whatever, let's just do this. And he's very much more of a, um, you know, he really wants to analyze and, 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 and really go through the numbers, um, you know, several times. And I don't know if I'm just not like that, because I've always been like that, or I oftentimes had to ride, you know, 40 horses at a horse show. And so I didn't really have time. So you better just be able to go. So maybe that's just what I'm comfortable with but I do yeah. think Avery is more like her dad in that aspect of analyzing courses for sure. Okay. I gotcha.
1: Um, and just a couple more questions here to wrap up. Um, why do you think you've been so successful as a rider in your career? I
0: think the biggest thing that has made me successful is I believe in the horse. And I think they know that. So I, I have had really good people find me really nice horses but I think my strong suit has been I've been able to develop or develop young horses or maybe find a horse that had a little bit of an issue and and make it into a great horse maybe it was a good horse that had the potential to be a great horse but maybe it just needed someone to just get on it and and convince it that it was that horse and hopefully my strong suit is that I do that with horse and rider I'd like to say at the end of the day, I'm a cheerleader for my student, or I'm a cheerleader for the horse that I'm on. And if I can just give them 10% more, if I can make them, if I can make that horse come off the ground 10% better, if I can make it take a deep breath and relax through the change, if I can drop it in front of the jump because it knows I'm I'm trusting it 100%, and then it learns to jump a little higher and a little slower. Maybe that student who you know doubted whether or not they could be in the top four of you know this medal final or that maybe me telling them I I wouldn't be here at the back gate if I didn't believe you couldn't do this you've practiced this you know this maybe just that amount of my confidence that I exude to them whether it be horse or rider helps just get that little edge across and and I think it's that confidence and it's that energy that I put out there to whether it's the horse universe or or to the kid. I, I think that's that's what has helped me the most.
1: And um, what do you think is the hardest part of this sport for you personally? Uh, it could be anything like em- emotionally, mentally, physically. Uh, financially, I think, you know, there's, this is a very hard sport and there are different things that people struggle with. So what would you say is the hardest part for you?
0: The absolute, this one's easy for me to answer. The absolute hardest part of the sport for me is that I see in so many, at, at the very highest level of this sport, so many people don't take care of their equine athletes once they're done with them. And that's really hard for me. I see that you know, you you know, Susie sells her large pony or her first children's hunter. And first of all, oftentimes these kids or adults, I think the adults oftentimes are more connected, but you sell these horses and, and it's like the, the kids or the parents or whoever are just on to the next shiny penny. And, and they're not like there when the horse leaves or, you know, they don't necessarily, there are special people who follow their careers and make sure their horses are taken care of or offer, you know, if the horse ever needs to be retired, please let us know. But unfortunately, the the exception to the rule is that most of these people, once the horse has left their care, don't pay attention to what, where they are, what happens to them, what happens to them anymore. And I hope through the microchipping process that we can follow horses better and make sure that these good horses that have you know saved your kids life over jumps and been good animals for your family get a, a a proper retirement and 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 love and a comfortable way to you know exit the show world and and when they're ready to be retired or ready to be put down or whatever their comfort zone is that somebody is there to support that because it It kills me when I get a call from somebody and they'll be like, you know what? I saw that horse that used to be in your barn and it is in a field and it's, it's not being taken care of. And I'm like, what? And, you know, I'll go after it and I can't tell you how many times I'll call one of the old owners or something. And they're like, oh, well, we sold it. It's not our responsibility again. And so I end up, you know, taking care of a lot of retired horses because I can't handle the fact that this horse that that came out every day and did its job and you know gave its heart for this kid or this family wouldn't be able to live out its life comfortably. And so for me, I really it I really want people to take care of their animals not just in the moment but you know through their lives. I feel like if you make a commitment to a horse, it's not just the season that you show it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, a couple horses that I haven't owned, but just even least, um, that went to other people after me, like I'm always checking their record to see who, who has them and how I can follow them. Like I'll go find them on Instagram and see how they're doing. And I definitely understand like feeling you had just have that connection with that horse and you want to know that they're still doing well once they're out of their hands and, and onto their next project. Yeah, yeah. Just last question here. What is next for you? What's on your calendar? What's coming up?
0: So um, Avery goes to um, McClay Finals this week. So she goes from Washington International Horse Show, um, which Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be at this week, but unfortunately got COVID at Harrisburg and it laid me out and amongst with about half the the rest of the show, which was just too bad. So I needed to come home. Um, luckily I got off the plane and was separated for Avery for, uh, for, you know, two days. Cause I was there selling a horse she went to try on. So she didn't get it. Thank goodness. I came home, got very sick. And so I ended up staying home this week. She will go to, um, uh, McLean next week and I will go to thermal with horses there. And then Avery will meet me. She will fly from McLean. Her dad will go with her to McLean or actually he's, he coordinate he's driving to thermal uh with his wife's barn and then he's flying back for the weekend i need to stay at thermal and then avery and ned are flying to thermal together so that she is there week two and so she will be riding uh for me week two when she gets back so the the end of our year is the two sunshine series so she's got mcclay Next week, she's got Washington right now. She's getting ready to do the Hunter phase. And then uh, we do the Sunshine Series. And then we, uh, our own horses do not show in December. Avery may go down and show, um, catch ride some horses at December uh, Thermal. And then I need to go to Ocala Weck to do some business with the app there. And so I think Avery's actually going to come with me uh, to Weck and catch ride that weekend that I'm there. And also try to get herself qualified for the equitation uh, class that goes there, that equitation yeah. championship the following year, because you need to qualify this year, which is different than it's been in okay. the past.
1: Well, good luck to her and good luck to you in the coming weeks and finishing out the year and end with the app, which sounds super exciting. Um, and just thank you again for hopping on with me and and doing this chat. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Hope Glenn and a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Purina. Learn more at purinamills.com. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Also, tune into our mini stone series, The Fod Pod, where you'll hear audio lessons from our favorite Practical Horseman on-demand clips. At Practical Horseman On Demand, you can enjoy hundreds of how-to videos and get insider access to exclusive interviews and lectures, slow-motion demonstrations, and step-by-step tutorials taught by top-level pros in the hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing disciplines. When you tune into the FOD Pod, listen closely for a promo code for 15% off your Practical Horseman On Demand subscription. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I'm Julia Murphy, and you've been listening to The Practical Horseman Podcast.